Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Well, hello again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen. If you missed hour one, you can get it as a podcast at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. You should be subscribed to Mornings with Carmen. That would be great. Um, All right. So May, in the month of May, one of the things that is going on is that we are giving away a book every day. So here at the network, we are giving away Max Lucado's In the Footsteps of the Savior um, every day this month. And so you can win a copy every day. Uh, You can enter to win on the Faith Radio app or at MyFaithRadio.com. So there you go. Visit MyFaithRadio.com or right there. If you're listening on the Faith Radio app, there's a way to enter right there. Uh, That's kind of a fun thing going on in the month of May. Let me ask you quickly about trust. The Trust in Media 2023 uh, report has been issued. Maybe no big surprise here. Um, people don't trust the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, pretty much across the board, people don't trust the media. We don't trust them to tell us the truth. We don't trust them to tell us, uh, to even read us in on the story in an unbiased way. Yeah, very, very uh, low level of trust in the media. In fact, um, the the highest number, uh, I mean, the, the numbers are negative for some, by the way, um, negative scores for InfoWars, Daily Caller, Breitbart, uh, and a zero for BuzzFeed. Everybody else got, um, got some positive number, but like HuffPost got a plus one. So, you know, but it, it's bad. It's bad in terms of the level of trust that people have um, in the media. Um. The three highest, PBS is a plus 30, the BBC plus 29, and the Wall Street Journal plus 24. It's just down from there. But there is one outlier. There is one outlier on this list that got a plus 53, which means that, you know, more than 53% of the people actually do trust um, this particular news outlet to tell us the truth and to tell us the truth in real time. You want to guess what it is? I bet you've already guessed what it is. When I say, who do you trust to deliver accurate information in the moment when you need it most? Now, let me tell you that you are in a closet under a blanket accessing this particular news outlet. Yeah, now you know what it is. It's the Weather Channel. So I want us to consider whether or not we're telling people the truth, whether or not I mean, I know this is a play on words here, whether or not people can trust us, you and me, to tell them the truth today about what's going on in the world. Whether they agree with us or not, can they tune into us as their weather channel, W-H-E-T-H-E-R, whether they agree with us or not, 
Can they tune in to you, to you and me? Can they tune in to you and get the truth? Can people trust you to tell them the truth, whether they want to hear it or not? I want to be that kind of weather channel that people tune into every day. Dr. Brett Nix is going to join us next from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We have an absolutely like the intersection of, of medicine and miracle to share with you. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Brett Nix is uh, here with us today. You can find him at brettnixmd.com. He's also engaged with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. And if you are a person working anywhere in the broad range of medical or dental um, work, you you need to check out CMDA, who they are and what they're doing, because it is your network. It's your resource. Um, it's your community. Uh, and so, and it's your advocacy as well. So cmda.org. Brett, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Um, doctors tell us the truth, whether we want to hear it or not, right? Like you're not taking my, I mean, you're taking my feelings into account. That's the bedside manner part of it. But whether I want to hear it or not, I want my doctor to tell me the truth, right? Absolutely. And sometimes yeah. people aren't necessarily willing to hear the truth. But the truth should still be told. That's exactly right. All right. We have a, a really incredible story to share with people today. Um, tell us about this um, uh, this successful brain surgery in utero and how both patients, the mom and the baby, are doing today. You know, it's amazing when you look at the technology and the advances that we've seen over time. You know, this is a story out of Boston that looked at a small child uh, and the baby was going through a normal process of development. Mom was doing great from a pregnancy perspective. And then later on at about 30 weeks, uh, a repeat ultrasound identified that, hey, there was the heart was getting a little bit too large and there were some concerns related to uh, a vein malformation inside the brain. And as you may see, a few people watch the, the media, if you watch people like Ben Carson talking about the ability to do surgery in what we call in utero, which is when the baby is still inside the mother to be able to do surgery on the baby. Uh, they specifically looked uh, and identified that out of a study that they're doing, a procedure that is ultrasound guided that allows for the doctors, the team to isolate the baby in a specific position in the mother's belly and to be able to put a special needle, a special catheter through the skin in through uh, the uterus and into the baby's head to go ahead and actually do a procedure that typically is only done after the baby is born. And why this is so significant, there's an issue called the great cerebral vein. It's a big vein inside the brain, also known as the vein of Galen, that it collects all of the blood and flows it back to the heart. Well, there's a condition in uh, very, very rare circumstances where the arteries, instead of going through its normal process of going to the smaller arteries and then down to the capillaries, these arteries in the brain then instead go straight to this large vein and it causes a lot of flow and a lot of congestion. The challenge with that is when a baby is born, 50 to 60% of them are very, very sick with heart failure and brain related issues at birth and about 40% of them die. And so that's even with interventions that are done. So the question has been, is it possible to do this before they're born? Uh, and in this baby's situation, uh, they went up to Boston and had the procedure done 
and the baby was doing exceedingly well afterwards. Um, after they went up for the ultrasound and identified it at 30 weeks, um, they went and had the procedure done. And about four weeks later, the mother went into labor uh, and the baby was born. Um, and since that point in time, uh, both mother and baby are doing incredibly well. It hasn't required the baby to have any interventions like they typically would. Uh, and from a neurologic perspective, the baby seems to be completely normal, growing, feeding what babies do best. And so, again, it just gets into the amazing capacity uh, of the body that God created, but the ability for us to be able to develop uh, scientific approaches when we identify a problem to be able to address it even earlier than before. So this is really just an amazing process. Again, it's a study that's ongoing. There's other patients that are being enrolled, uh, but this is one example uh, of being able to take a step forward uh, and using technology to really advance uh, the health of a, of a child that's not even born yet. So one of the things about this story, um, Brett, that strikes me is this, there's extraordinary pro-life language. There's a, ex, there's, I mean, a, there's no question that this child is regarded as a human being, as a patient, um, has her own doctors engaged in this while her mom has a different set of doctors tending to her during the same procedure there. You know, there's an acknowledgement here. Um, that, you know, quote, she, we've known from the very beginning that she was a fighter. I mean, they're clearly talking there about this person, this baby, prior to being born into the world. Um, I just think that this is one of those stories that demonstrates, I, I mean, how how divided our minds are as a culture when it comes to the conversation about abortion. This is either a person, a patient, a baby, a human being, or it is not. And in this case, it is, but in another case, it might not be. Do, do you see, you, you see the the divided mind that's required to make that kind of statement. It is, and it's a challenge. You know, here's a family, and you, especially with you said before, you look at the language from a mother and from the, the family. Uh, you know, they identify their daughter. Uh, they identify uh, the opportunity. They identify the process as it relates to the baby and the direction that they're going. Uh, and as you said, they, you know, identify her as a fighter, identify her as, you know, their child and that they wanted to do what was right and what was best, knowing the circumstances and the situation. Uh, and they went straight towards that clinical trial. You know, what's amazing, as you said, is you're right, there's a team, there's a team that is taking care of mother so they can navigate this procedure. There's a team that's taking care of baby to go ahead and ensure that, number one, that the baby uh, is not moving a whole lot so they can do the procedure. The baby is comfortable, not feeling any pain, recognizing the same things that would be treated of a patient who is uh, alive and outside of the body. Uh, and I think that's the value proposition of this. And we have to recognize that more than anything else, uh, we are looking at treating humans regardless of circumstance. And that is really the beautiful thing here. All right, we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, uh, Dr. Brett Nix is going to at least begin getting us ready for summer. Summer is just uh, weeks away now, and there are some things that each and every one of us can be thinking about in terms of our health. My lead question is going to be about mosquitoes. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. All right, the mosquitoes are already so bad where I live. You literally, like, cannot go out for a walk uh, at, at dusk. Um, Dr. Brett Nix, get us ready for summer. For for me, could you start with mosquitoes? 
Boy, I tell you, I don't know about you, Carmen, but you and I must have the same blood type uh, and, and or have the same diet because mosquitoes love me to death. And you're right. Dawn and dusk are the worst time. Those are the times when the mosquitoes are the most active. And the challenge for many of us is that's also the time that you, you may be outside. Before work, you're outside going for a walk or taking the dog or doing what you do outside. And then if you have a normal daytime job, you get home in the evening, it's cooled off enough for you to go outside. Recognize if, the, if you're going to be out at those times, those are the challenges. And here's the, here's the issue. Many times if you're going out at that time, you're going out to get some exercise. And historically, we used to wear loose-fitting clothes. They were cotton-based or otherwise. And now most of the things that we wear are form-fitting. And mosquitoes love it. Why? Because they can go ahead and land on you and go straight through that form-fitting clothing uh, and get a, a, a great bite. And unfortunately, the challenge with that is uh, the natural repellents, the things that we would spray on, we want to keep directly off our, off our skin, but recognize that there are clothing, especially some of the ones that are athletic-associated, and you'll find it mainly for those that spend time outdoors, hunting, fishing, and otherwise, there is uh, clothing that is treated in advance with permethrin. Uh, that's something that you'll see in a lot of these sh shirts and or pants or otherwise. They work exceedingly well. They last for about 30 washings, uh, and it really does an amazing job uh, with mosquitoes. Now, recognize as well, if it is that you are in your yard and you're doing work, if you're like uh, we have been in North Carolina, we have had so much rain this spring. Make sure that your planters, if you have anything that's outside that has the potential to hold standing water, that you tip those over. Don't give an environment for the mosquitoes to thrive. Go ahead and eliminate that uh, if you can. Check for that process as it relates. You know, and then the underlying thing as it relates to it as well is recognize that there are some simple things you can't change. Number one, uh, there is a link related to your blood type and mosquitoes are drawn to specific types. Uh, there are a few, but not very strong studies that say, hey, if uh, you have garlic in your diet on a routine basis, that may actually uh, repel mosquitoes to a small degree. Again, not a great study, but a few things in that space that are hinting toward that. And then the usual- Because they're, okay, about, but wait, that's because they're yeah. little vampires. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> why garlic works. They're tiny little uh, vampires. Well, I, I, I put a garlic necklace around once or twice before. It didn't do a whole lot to scare them off. Uh, mm. But when I, when I have a great pasta meal with a lot of garlic, I, it, I notice one or two things. Number one, the mosquitoes stay away, but so do my kids. So there must be something. <laughs> All right. So um, I'm going to have a little garlic uh, or a lot of garlic maybe in my diet. I'm going to recognize my blood type is probably an issue. I'm going to avoid being outside at dawn or dusk. If I must be, I'm going to wear loose-fitting clothes, and I'm going to put bug repellent on the clothing, not on my body. Um, yeah, and I'm going to eliminate all standing water uh, that I can. Uh, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to cover up. Like that's part of this um, as well. Let's um while we're talking about blood, um, let's talk about this um, potential blood clot treatment that um, actually might lower bleeding risk. What's going on here? You know, it's interesting. So many of you may have uh, yourself or know someone that has a heart rhythm issue. One of them we know that is common is atrial fibrillation. And that's when the nerve fibers in the upper part of the heart get stretched and all of a sudden no longer does your heart beat in a regular pattern. Because of that, it creates turbulence in the blood flow in your heart and that sets you up for developing blood clots. And so for those who have this, you may have been on warfarin or Coumadin for a long time and have to get your blood checked on a weekly basis. And then in the last decade, we moved into these, what we call novel anticoagulants. And these are oral medications that don't have to be checked routinely. The challenge with these is 
they, they stop this cascade of clotting, if you will, in our body. But in doing so, it puts you at risk for bleeding. And so if, if you are on these medications, you already know from your doctors that if you have trauma, you fall down, you hit your head and have some bruising, there's a chance that you can get a head bleed from that. And so I'm going to start to talk about the nuance of science. We start to get into these targeted therapies and the ability to say, to say hey, instead of blocking this entire cascade, is there one small space that we can look at? And there's a new medication that's in this process of being changed where they're looking specifically at this polyanion, a unique spot is called uh, polyphosphate. Nothing that you need to know other than it is unique in the sense that they are trying to target something that flows through your body and target one small specific thing that will help to minimize that clotting burden without causing this risk of bleeding. And it's very early on in the study process. They've looked at it on mice. They think that it looks really good. Again, they want to make sure that, hey, there's not a risk of increased bleeding, number one, and that there's not toxicity to the body, number two. Uh, and this is being developed out of the University of Michigan along with a, a bioscience group. Uh, and the clinical trials are looking positive at this point in time. So the nice thing is, is if this indeed is a breakthrough, if indeed this gets to the point where we're not seeing toxicity in the body and we're seeing the blood being thinned, without the risk of bleeding, that would profoundly change the risks associated with those that have to be on this medicine. And as an emergency doctor, that would be profound because the number of patients that I see on a daily basis that have a ground level fall that are on these medications and hit their head, part of our standard mm -hmm. practice right now is I have to get a CT scan of their head to make sure they don't have a bleed and then still tell them, hey, a bleed can occur even up to two weeks after today. So watch for these symptoms. And so that would greatly change the practice that we have. Yeah, falling is such a um, falling is such a terrible thing um, for people in a particular age group, and they tend to also be the ones that are on these blood thinners. So this would be really, really great. I've got my I got my dad in mind here. So um, thank you, Brett, as always, um, for joining us, bringing us great information, um, wonderful, miraculous news, and also you know ways that we can. Um, live well and care for our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you want more help, go to brettnixmd.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Um, next up, we are going to hear from our friend John Stone Street. This is commencement season. Do you even remember who spoke at your graduation? I mean, I'm going to confess I've graduated three times, high school, college, graduate school. I can't tell you who spoke, let alone what they said. But some graduation speakers and their speeches are not only important at the time, but prove prescient over time. So such was the speech delivered in 1978 at Harvard. We're going to listen together as John Stone Street tells us that story. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, I appreciate those of you texting in about your commencement speakers back in the day. Um, good information to have there. You can always text me during the show, 877-933-2484. I feel like we talk um, frequently about emerging generations, young people. Um, we're worried about our kids and our grandkids. We're worried about um, the next generation or generations we talk about the primary questions that young people are asking today, questions of identity, belonging, and purpose. We talk about their mental health. We talk about the challenges that they face because of social media, challenges we didn't face when we were their age. We talk about education. We talk about discipleship. We, take, we talk about broken family systems. We talk about 
the effects of COVID. We don't know it all yet. Um, we don't often hear a lot about what's actually going on in youth ministries. So what's going on in the youth ministry at your church? What's actually happening there? Um, what's happening in parachurch youth ministries? We're going to find out next from Erica Anderson. She's been looking at that, um, and she's going to come to us today with what she's learned. She's joining us in 90 seconds. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Erica Anderson is joining us now. She's got a piece posted at Christianity Today. Youth pastors ditch gross-out games and help student ministry grow up. Today's groups are becoming more integrated with the rest of the church. Erica, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm interested to know, like, what what provoked you to do this, I mean, really pretty in-depth research. You looked at all kinds of varieties of ministries related to emerging generations. Um, what, what provoked you, you know, sort of in this direction to want to find out what's happening today? Yeah, well, I'm I'm really interested in why people are losing their faith in young adulthood. I'm just, you know, kind of zeroed in on that as a mom of younger kids. I'm, you know, intent on helping to educate the next generation in in a way that is effective and lasting. And so I was just thinking about, well, who's talking to our high school students right now and what are they even equipped? Are, are they just 22-year-old guys out of college and do they know what they're doing? And so I just, that was just the thought that sparked it. And then I met someone whose husband worked for a youth training organization, youth minister training organization. And I was like, oh, I need to talk to him. And then from there, I just sort of started calling people up and and wanted to see what is going on with youth ministry. How has it changed since I was in, in youth uh, youth group? And, and I was surprised to find it has changed quite a bit. Um, yeah. So you do some history here and you take us back um, sort of the, how did we get here in youth ministry? And I want to, I want to visit on that, but maybe tell us the end from the beginning. Who's doing mm-hmm. what right now that's really producing um, like an integrated disciple? I mean, at an age, right? They're not all grown mm-hmm. up yet and their brains haven't even fully developed. But, you know, point to models where you're like, that that seems like that's really working. Well, honestly, I talked to a whole bunch of different people, men, women, people from different parts of the country. And I was really surprised that all of them were sort of on the same page and saying the same things. Um, and, and I liked all the things they were saying. And those things include um, no longer is the youth group sort of its own separate entity, almost like in the past, it was like a, almost like its own separate mini church um, that has not done well for the youth. And so everyone I spoke to talks about how important it is for the youth group to integrate with the larger church and be a part of that in a in a much more holistic way. And then also another point that everyone made was that parents are a much more uh, big factor now. Like, so um, what we find through the research is that when parents are not involved or taking any part in a kid's discipleship or a faith upbringing, that they are so much more likely to walk away and it has so much less impact. And so youth leaders and ministries are making a really concerted effort to ensure that parents know what's going on, to help get them involved if they're willing, and to help kind of secure that in a way where the influence is much stronger. And then the last thing I'll just mention is 
there is a much uh, better effort to connect kids from high school to college. So there was like this gap in between people graduating high school going to college and then into young adulthood where they were leaving and there was no connector point. But um, Shane Pruitt, who runs Gen Send, and I talked to him in the article, um, that is their entire ministry is trying to connect high school youth pastors and college youth ministers and making sure that there's sort of a handoff of these students so that they're not going into college and leaving church and just never, you know, being invited back into that environment again. That's so good. We're talking with Erica Anderson. Um, The piece is posted at Christianity Today. If you want to read the whole thing, you can send me a text and I'll send you the link right back, 877-933-2484. Let's uh, let's do a little bit of um, uh, a little more conversation about that whole, it's an integrated approach now. Like there used to be Mm -hmm. a time when there was, kids were maybe given the option of um, like kind of opting out of church and just being involved in youth ministry. And that really then sort of replaced this multi-generational, um, maybe sitting under good biblical teaching discipleship model because they were off with the youth group doing whatever fun, funky thing was happening over there. Um, mm-hmm. We now have, you, I mean, you observe this as well, and I certainly observe this in my own experience. We have young people opting out of youth ministry in order to be engaged in um, you know, every component part of the life of a multi-generational church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's what so many people said is they said that when people would say graduate from the youth group or graduate from high school, even if they remained in the same town, they would not continue going to the church because it felt like a different church. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't, they didn't know the pastor. They didn't know the elders or the other people. And so seeing how detrimental that was, that's been a huge change. And then also just like, um, just the focus on real discipleship, you know, the youth group culture used to be so much about entertainment and it used to be, um, you know, just a fun, fun, fun. But I think today's at youth, um, yes, of course, they still like to have fun, but they have a lot of unanswered questions. They're, they ha- they're dealing, I feel like, grappling with a lot more um, sort of cultural issues that they're forced to find an opinion on, and they need that guidance and direction. And so um, in, in, in addition to kind of trying to integrate the youth group into the church, um, there's also like this focus not to just keep everything, oh, the youth minister is everything. It's like the youth minister needs to be one of many different adults that are interacting with these kids so that they have plenty of resources, plenty of people that they can connect with, someone that maybe, you know, kind of jives with them specifically, um, and just ensuring that there's a huge community around them rather than just, oh, hey, the youth group and the youth minister and kind of like we do our own thing. Yeah, I think that leads us really organically into the conversation about what what seems like the way we should have always been doing it. And yes. that is this this mentorship model. Can you mm-hmm. talk about like the value that young people place on people who are older than them and how much they really do want a mentor? Yeah, I mean, studies will show you that the more sort of trusted, faith-filled adults in a kid's life, um, the more not only secure that they feel, but the more likely it is that their faith is going to have a lasting effect on them because they feel that they actually have someone that they can ask questions to instead of just sort of being lost and having to rely 
on the internet. And so I think, you know, having a, a good solid set of parents that are invested is your top number one thing. But, and we know that's not always possible. And so that's why it's so important for the church family to come around these kids, because we really need to think of it like a church family. Like these are our kids as a church and we have a responsibility to them to love, support, be there for them and answer their questions. And we all know, looking back, like what was the teacher that had an effect? on you. We all have these adults in our life where we look back and they had a pivotal, you know, effect on how we thought about things and the way we moved in the world. And that is no different with faith mentors inside the church. Um, one of our favorite conversations here, Erica, um, has been, or I mean, over time conversations, I say they're plural, is with Kara Powell from the Fuller Youth Institute. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that that's been an influential um, effort uh, in this mentorship, she calls it withing, um, but in this mm-hmm. mentorship and then training this next generation of people who do ministry with youth. Um, and so talk with me a little bit about what you discovered in terms of efforts out there to train up people who do ministry with youth, um, because that's kind of exciting as well. I mean, the, the connecting them together across that bridge from high school to college is awesome, but who's training this current and emerging generation of people doing ministry with youth? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, these are people that have, you know, kind of gone to seminary. A lot of them are younger. Of course, that's sort of how it works. Some of them are, you know, this is a stepping stone to becoming a senior pastor, which that's okay. Like we all have different callings. Um, But I think um, some of these organizations like GenSend, like I said, and then there's one in Canada that I spoke with called, I think it's called Youth Worker. Mm-hmm. program or something like that. Um, they are reaching out to youth ministers, youth groups, leaders across the country and saying, hey, we want to train you. We want to equip you. And so I don't know how what percentage of youth ministers are actually partaking in that, but I know those resources are much more available than they used to be. And I'm happy to hear that. And they're and they're trying to equip them to talk about the things that are really hitting kids hard. I mean, the the issues of sexuality and culture and things like that. I mean, that's tough stuff to address and to do well as a youth minister. And so um, I think we probably like the more, the better in terms of, you know, equipping them to be able to do that well. Yeah. For those of you listening, just remind you, we talked um, recently with Jeff Grinnell, um, Next Gen Faith, about this same topic. Those are some great resources as well. Fuller Youth Institute, great resources um, uh, Jen Send, which we have already discussed um, here. I know that um, uh, it, just so many organizations that are working on this. If you um, want help identifying them and finding them, Erica actually has a number of them linked in her article. Again, we're talking with Erica Anderson. The article is Youth Pastors Ditch Gross Out Games and Help Student Ministry Grow Up. It's at Christianity Today. I will Send you the link right back if you text me, 877-933-2484. More with Erica in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. 
And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Erica Anderson about uh, her findings related to youth ministry. It's from a piece at Christianity Today. Again, I'll shoot you the link if you send me a text, 877-933-2484. Erica, I want to go back to the portion where you talk about the influence of parents. Um, you, You note that in 2021, in the book, Handing Down the Faith, how parents pass their religion on to the next generation, there's this research out there that identifies three factors that really determine whether an adult child remains in the faith past high school. Can you tell us what those three determinants are? Yes. Okay. I'm now. I'm like trying to recall oh. in my brain. Okay. Sorry. All right. I'll just I'll just read them. I've got it in front of me. If the just family because I don't want yeah, to yeah, mess it sorry. up. No. No. You're good. If the family attends church at least once a week if the parents reported that their religious faith was extremely important and how often they had conversations about religious matters. And when I read that, it occurs to me like parents actually need to be equipped beyond, did you haul your kids to church? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so fascinating to me. And that's why I've become so passionate about this as a mom. Like, I'm just like, what, what, you know, and these, all these, this kind of goes back to, there's all these conversations about, should you send your kid to Christian school or, you know, does it matter if you go to church? And the thing is that like, those things can matter. Going to church is important. Like if you send your kid to Christian school, that's going to help them. However, without the influence of a parent at home, actually being the like chief discipler of a kid, whatever age they are, um, those things are just, they just pale in comparison. It makes all the difference for a child if their parents are involved and equipped. And, you know, that's, that's something that I really wanted to emphasize in this article. And it's also why I talk a lot on my own platforms about getting informed about apologetics and um, being able to answer your kids questions in a way that makes sense and being prepared for those things. And so partnering with youth ministers and your church and kind of looking ahead, if your kids are younger, being able to think, how are we going to um, be a part of this and really um, integrate ourselves into our child's faith life all the way through high school. Um, you might remember, I mean, when Erica talks about uh, the other things that she has written, um, you might remember reason to return, why women need the church and the church needs women. Um, and Erica, I think a part of this is like every, every mom out there should look in the mirror and if you wondered where the youth minister is for your kid, like you're looking at her, right? I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is a part of what we're talking about. The, the church, most churches across the country, like, I don't know, have less than 200 people, which means there's no way they have a person who is hired to be dedicated to ministering with youth and, and, and families, um, which means that this is going to have to be done by the family of faith, by people within the congregation who are willing to step into this um, and by parents being equipped to do it. Like, this is our role. The children have been given as a sacred trust to their parents. And if their parents are Christians, then, like, it's incumbent upon us to disciple our kids. Yeah, it it really is. And I know it's obvious, but parents just, when it comes to influence, they are by far number one. Church is I think number two in terms of faith influence, but parents are up there. And 
Um, even though it can feel difficult, it can feel frustrating, it can feel like they're not listening or they're not getting it. And I know that because I feel that as a parent. Um, it, it is, it does matter. It is making a difference. Those are things that going that are going to imprint on them. They're going to look back and see and remember and watch the way that you lived your life and the way you talked about things. And that consistency just day by day is, is what matters most rather than, you know, one big thing, you know, a year or something. It's the consistency of living out the Christian life just every day in a normal way and having those conversations one by one uh, and bringing them in, you know, bringing things up whenever anything arises and just trying to, you know, kind of weave that into your life. All right. So um, practical ideas here for um, for you as you're listening. Maybe your church uh, has a senior Sunday, you know, students who are graduating share, you know, what their plans are beyond high school graduation. That's a wonderful time for you to make a mental note and say, okay, I actually know someone in the city where they're going to college, or I actually, you know, know someone, I know a good church in that community. And you can reach out directly to that young person and say, hey, I, I mean, I regret that I didn't get to know you while you were in high school, but I'd like to get to know you now. You're actually headed off to my alma mater, or you're actually headed off to a place that I'm familiar with because I used to live nearby, or I have a friend there. I'm familiar with a church. Can I connect you? Can I connect with you? And then can I connect you with them? That's what young people are looking for. And I think adults, I mean, Erica, to be perfectly honest, like we have to get over the fear of talking to young people we don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, right? Like we treat them like they're like scary aliens and they're not. They're, they're, they're people. Yeah, I get that. Sometimes in my head, I get in my head like, oh, they're just going to think I'm this annoying old person, right? But I think that they do appreciate the interest in their lives. And um, college campuses, just to say this, like they have so many great Christian ministries. But if you're a kid that's maybe an introvert or whatever, you don't get started there. Um, you need like that one person or that one connection to be made for you so that you can get grounded in that, you know, at day one. And so I agree, that's a great time to, to share that information. Then also for your church to really have prayer partners, I think for these kids going off to college, people that are praying for them consistently, checking in with them, having some kind of system where you're like, not just, okay, bye, see you later. Um, One of the things I wrote about in the article that I thought was so sad was that when COVID started, apparently only 10% of youth got an actual personal call or email from their youth pastor after the church stopped meeting. And I thought that was kind of horrible. And so I want to see that improved. Yeah, um, I'm thinking right now, I mean, I taught fifth grade Sunday school seven, six years ago now. So they are 11th graders. Like, I know those kids. I mean, I knew them as fifth graders. I haven't, I guess I also like was part of the teaching team when they were in seventh grade, but that was a little bit different experience. Like, but I, I remember them from fifth grade. They look totally different now. You know, they now stand Mm -hmm. eyeball to eyeball. Um, But before they enter their senior year, maybe I should reach out and, and connect with them and just say, hey, I, you know, was just remembering what a good time we had talking about the names of God, you know, back in fifth grade. I'm so proud of you. I love seeing you in worship. Maybe we could reconnect over coffee. I'd like to catch up and, you know, see what God's doing in your life and um, how I can pray for you. Like something just like, I'm not making, I'm, I'm not asking them to make a huge commitment. I'm saying I see you as a young adult person that I'd like to re get to know because the last time I really knew you, you were in fifth grade. 
Yeah. And I think as Christians, and maybe this serves as a reminder for some people that are listening, it's just like, understand that like you are there, like God places people in places for a reason and be open to the move of the spirit that you might be supposed to be there for people. It's like, we are, you know, some of us are mothers and fathers like physically, but everyone that's part of the Christian family is, is a mother or father spiritually to someone. And so I think we need to be open to God's movement in terms of the people that he has put in our path to pray for minister to, and just be a part of their life. And that is something, I don't know, maybe, maybe people haven't thought much about that and now they, they can. Yeah, so good. Erica, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing um, every day in ministry. You guys can connect with Erica at ericaanderson.com. She's also on Facebook and Twitter. You can get all of her socials from her website. Um, her book, which we have talked about on a, on a prior occasion, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Need Women. She's been joining us today on the subject of uh, youth ministry and what's happening in youth ministry. I'm happy to send you the direct link to her Christianity Today piece. Just send me a text. 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All right, friends, um, let's be praying for our friends to the north. Uh, Canada is literally on fire. A million acres have burned in Alberta um, in, in less than a week. That's really extraordinary. I think that um, we tend to think about the—I use the, the use the word fire here metaphorically. We tend to think about the, you know, the fires at home or in our family or in our own community or in our relationships or at our work. Um, there are also literal fires out there, and um, many, many tens of thousands of people displaced by those right now uh, in Canada— um, it made me mindful as I was thinking about this early today and lifting these particular people up in prayer. We have so many people who have been displaced by natural disasters of one kind or another um, over the last year. So let's renew our prayers for them as God brings a particular place or circumstance to mind. Let's renew our prayers today for people we've talked about in the past and places we've focused on in the past. God is still tending to those concerns. And just because it's fallen out of the headline news certainly doesn't mean it's fallen out of um, God's concern. And it certainly doesn't mean that the needs of those people have been met. So thinking even now about, I don't know, people who suffered that derecho and we we talked with them a couple of years ago or um, or or floods or fires or earthquakes, just, you know, so many things. And so let's be praying for each other today. Let's be praying for others as we would hope they would pray for us if we were in a similar circumstance. As you go out there into the world that God so loves, um, I'm, I'm hoping that you do so in ways that honor Jesus. That's the way I'm praying for you. I'm counting on you. And I'll see you right back here tomorrow on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.